Our text for today is from the book of 1 John, the first chapter, and specifically we'll be focusing in on verses 1 and 2 and 3. Where did we come from as human beings? And where might we, where might you be going, eternally speaking? And why are we here? Why were we made? Why do we even exist at all? And if you think you have the answers to those questions, how do you know for sure? How can you grow more and more in your certainty of the things of your faith? These are the most important questions. These are the ultimate questions questions of life. And last week, our focus was on the great question of our origin, where did we come from as human beings? And today is the great question of our purpose and indeed of our identity. It is the question of why. Why are we here? Why do we even exist at all? And as we did last week, what I want to do to answer that question is simply to compare and contrast the biblical answer to that question with the secular answer to that question. I want to compare and contrast the biblical answer to the question of why do we exist, why are we here, with the secular answer to that question. And by secular, I simply mean the non-biblical, the non-religious, those who come from an atheistic perspective or worldview that there is no God who exists, whether you actually believe that or maybe you do believe in God in some general way, but practically speaking, the way that you think and the way you're living your life, you're living and thinking as if there is no God. That is what I mean by a secular worldview. And so there was a recent poll of young adults in America, 18 to 34 years of age, 42% with no religious affiliation at all secular. 42% 18 to 34-year-olds here in this country. And so what is the secular answer, first of all, to this ultimate and great question of why are we here and why do we exist at all? I think to help us to try to understand what the secular answer might be, I think it's helpful to look at some of the popular slogans of our day, some of the truisms. These are the things that you might see on a coffee mug or a bumper sticker or somewhere passed along on social media, on the internet. I think it's helpful to study and to analyze these slogans, these truisms, kind of the wisdom of our age. And I think this is perhaps the most important. Just be yourself. Be you. 
We live in a hyper-individualistic and self-focused age. And I think, this is Pastor Abel speaking now, but I think that the heroic narrative, the heroic myth, the heroic narrative of our age in the West, in 21st century American culture, to be a hero is to be your authentic, true self. Think about the people that we celebrate, the people that get attention, and that people that get applause, again, are celebrated in our culture. The people who look inside, they say, this is who I am. And then they go out and they're bold and they're brave enough to just be themselves, even if it might mean breaking vows or it might be leaving people behind, but they're going and they're being themselves. I found this to be interesting. I know it's hard to kind of see on our screens. It says, life is about creating yourself. This was a middle school or high school student's drawing out there on the internet. Life is about creating yourself, and you see the person is literally drawing themselves into existence. Life is about creating yourself, or it might be said this way, be your own hero. Again, the great heroic narrative of our day to be yourself, be your own hero, be your authentic self, and live it out into this world. And how do we know that? How do we know who we are? We listen to our own hearts. Maybe always listen to your heart. Don't listen to any objective truth out in the world, for there is no objective truth. Do not listen to any dogma or doctrine turning inward. Listen, always listen to your heart and live your truth. Put that on a coffee mug. There is no truth out there. You don't live the truth. You live your own personal truth. You've heard these things before And if the pressures of this worldview mount and the pressures of life and the anxieties of life, then what do we do? Where do we turn? We stop and give yourself a hug. It's about self-love. That's the most important thing. And to love and to hug yourself in a recent episode of Sesame Street where they were teaching the little Muppets and indeed teaching the three and four-year-olds watching the program, the most important thing you can do is to love yourself, number one. And if you want that feeling, you can just give yourself a hug. Now what maybe is good about some of this secular view? What maybe is good? Well, if we are trying to find our self-identity and who we are as an individual from the opinions of other people, then this is a good thing. If people like us and we feel good, if people don't like us, we feel bad. See, that is not an adequate foundation upon which to build our lives. So if that is what we mean by all of this, then this is a very good thing. But what might not be good 
about this secular philosophy or worldview. I think essentially what this is saying is for you to be your own God. You look to yourself, you listen to your heart, you go and be yourself out in the world, and it sounds liberating. And it sounds like absolute freedom and a wonderful thing. But I believe if we can think back historically where these ideas come from, I think that's very helpful to understand the underlying danger and problem with this secular answer to the question of why we are here. I think if we go back to the time of what's called the Age of the Enlightenment. Some of you have studied that in school. If you remember, oh yeah, the Enlightenment, I heard something about that. This is the end of the 17th century, the 18th century, the 19th century. And what the Enlightenment was all about, and the Enlightenment thinkers, they said this, that apart from the revelation of God's truth in Holy Scripture, and indeed eventually apart from God himself, Human beings can perfect themselves. It was wildly optimistic that human beings by their own reason and with their own logic and their own abilities can build philosophical system which answers the great question of life, the universe, and everything. And so you had a man by the name of Rene Descartes. Maybe you've heard of them. Cogito ergo sum. I think, therefore I... Am. And from that basic first principle, building an entire philosophical system again to answer all of the great questions of life. But then the person who came after him and said, no, that is completely wrong. And that person built a huge philosophical system again apart from God's truth and word, trying to answer the great questions of life, the universe, and everything. But then the next person came along and said, no, that's wrong. And they built their philosophical system answering all of the great questions of life and said, this is true. And then the next person came along and said, no, that's completely wrong. And the next person, and the next person, and the next person, until by the end of the 19th century into the early 20th century in Germany, the son of a Lutheran minister named Friedrich Nietzsche. You've heard of him? Big mustache. And Nietzsche declared the death of God. There is no God. And what Nietzsche wrote is that human beings are to create themselves. That's where that concept comes from. That now in the 21st century America, some middle school or high school student is drawing and putting out on the internet. That we are to create ourselves. And then after World War I and World War II, this great enlightenment dream that we can perfect ourselves and come up with all the answers, it was over. And then in the 1940s and 50s and 60s, there arose a philosophy that was not outward-looking, but completely inward-looking, building off the work of Nietzsche, and it was called existentialism. Some of you have heard of existentialism. By the way, you know, 10 years ago, I think you knew you were calling a person who was a philosophy major in college, so... 
The existentialist said this. That existence precedes our essence. Existence precedes our essence. What does that mean? It means we exist. There is no God. God is dead. There never was a God. You do not have a soul. You are merely a thing, a physical being that exists in the world. And out of the nothingness that is within you and out of the nothingness that is always before you, you have to create your essence. That is who you are. You're everything. The entire weight of your meaning, of your identity, of your purpose, of everything from nothing going to nothing and you are truly nothing yet you have to create it all from within yourself. And the existentialists of that period understood how horrifying that actually is. Perhaps you've heard of the philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre. I have one of his books. It's called Being and Nothingness. It was written in 1943. I had to read this in college. I literally wrote, I heart Sartre on the side. Not my favorite text. But Sartre, at least in this text, is honest. And this is some of the quotes from this book. It is senseless to think of complaining since nothing outside of us has decided what we feel, what we live, or what we are. In other words, there's no God, and there's no one to complain to. You're on your own. He says, I exist. That is all. And I find it nauseating. Sartre would actually write a very popular play called Nausea to describe this feeling. Nothingness lies coiled in the heart of a being, of a person, like a worm. Man is condemned to be free because once thrown into the world, that's thrown into the world at your birth, he is responsible for everything he does. It is up to you to give life a meaning. We are free, absolutely, wonderfully free. And he says it's like a condemnation. We are condemned to be free because everything is on you. Create yourself. Some of the popular art at the time, this went into plays and this went into films, this went into dramas and novels and fine art. You've seen this before, the scream. Edvard Munch a devoted follower of Friedrich Nietzsche. God is dead. There is no God. We have to create ourselves. And deep down inside, we see the horror that this really is. Just be yourself. Somehow, these ideas found their way into kind of just the popular culture of the day. Maybe some of you have this artwork hanging on your wall. Just be yourself. It sounds wonderful. It sounds liberating. But we've forgotten what it really means. 
and the horrible nature. Just be yourself. You have to create yourself. Live your own truth. And if the pressures and the anxieties of this life build up, we hug ourselves. We affirm ourselves. We've talked about this before. Have you ever tried to hug yourself? Self-soothing techniques are good. I'm not saying that at all. Please don't get me wrong. These things are okay, properly understood, but if this is the answer, the entire answer is to turn into yourself and to love yourself and to hug yourself. It will leave you desperately empty and wanting because deep down inside we know we were made for so much more. This is the secular answer. What is the biblical answer to the question of why we are here? Do you remember? Do you hear Isaiah chapter 43? The people that I made, that I created for my glory. It couldn't be more opposite. The self of Martin Luther said, the essence of sinful humanity is man turned in on himself. C.S. Lewis described hell as the place where we are utterly alone to ourselves, turning inward. We don't turn inward, we turn outward, and we were made to reflect and to shine the very glory and the beauty of God himself. And what does John say? 1 John chapter 1. The Apostle John writing, says that which was from the beginning soak that in that which was from the beginning which we've heard and seen with our eyes and looked upon and have touched with our hands. This is Christ, of course, that he's speaking of. Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we've seen it and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us that which we have seen and heard. You see, he's driving home this point. We proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Our fellowship with one another, an outward-focused love. Indeed, that comes from the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. The word fellowship, Greek, is koinonia. Many of you have heard that word, koinonia. It means a deep intimacy and love and commitment again not self-focused but radically other focused we say well why did God create the world why did God create people and sometimes we think well because God was lonely he was lonely he was all by himself as God and he needed some friends and he needed no God the Father pouring infinite love into the Son and the Son pouring his infinite love into the Father. Father, Son of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit pouring his infinite love and praise to the Father and the Son. And that is overflowing, that other-oriented, sacrificial love overflowing from the Godhead. And he, we are created to be brought into that dance, to be brought into that relationship, 
to glorify him, to enjoy him and his love and that fellowship forevermore. That is what we were made. And do you see that the more glorious, the more beautiful, the more wonderful the person is who loves you, who likes you, who wants to be with you, the deeper the joy is. Do you know that? The more wonderful that person is. Have I ever told you when I met my wife Leah? 2003, 20 years ago. I was assigned to be a vicar, that's a pastoral intern at a congregation in Orlando, Florida for one year. And a buddy of mine in my class said, oh, that's a great congregation. They have a beautiful DCE, Director of Christian Education. I said, oh, really? I happen to like beautiful DCEs. No. <laughs> I'm in the market for one. 20 years ago, I go on the internet, 20 year old, years ago, internet, no photographs of the staff. Oh, God, I want to see what this person looks like. I had to wait a couple of months, and I got there very first day. Conveniently, Leah had taken off that week, my first week there. <laughs> oh, guys, I mean, boy, I had my priorities, right? And one, uh, several days later, one of the pastors takes me on a tour of the church, and he's showing me around the facility, church, and a big school, 500 students. And, and finally, I see a billboard. And the billboard has photographs of the entire staff of the school and the staff of the church. And he's standing there, and I'm... Okay. <laughs> Leah Helmrichs. And I'm telling you this is the truth. I was utterly disappointed in what I saw. <laughs> I was so disappointed because she was so beautiful. She was so... Oh, my, that's Leah? No way she would ever want to go out with someone. I mean, I was hoping for some. I mean, talk about out of my league. Come on. Give me a chance, Lord. And then I meet her in person. Oh, butterflies are throwing up in my stomach. A couple of months later. Oh. Maybe she likes me. I'm sending out the vibes to her, you know. <laughs> and we go on a first date, and we hold hands, and it's just the unobtainable Leah Helmrichs, this amazing, actually likes me and, 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 and wants to be with me. And, 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 and as we grow in our relationship and, and she knows some of the worst things about me and she doesn't run away screaming, right? So to be loved and to be known, oh my goodness. And if that's true of Leah Helmrichs from Iowa, <laughs> that's just a shadow of what we were really made for. How glorious, how beautiful is our God. That which was from the very beginning. 
Think about how big the earth is, hurricanes and tornadoes and volcanoes and how small we are on this earth and a million earths fits inside the sun and the sun is just a medium-sized star and there are a hundred million suns, stars in just our galaxy, the Milky Way and scientists believe somewhere between two billion to a trillion galaxies within our universe and the author of Hebrews says that all of that is held together by a single word of his command, that is Jesus. And that is the one who put himself in a human body, in a human situation that could be heard and seen and touched and wounded and punched and beaten and nailed to a cross for you. Oh, why are you here? Why are you made to glorify? Not to turn inward, to look outward and to receive that love, that infinite love. And look, that Jesus doesn't just love you, but he likes you, delights and rejoices in you and gave it all away because he wants you. We are not who other people say we are. And we are not who we say we are. We are who Jesus says we are. And he says you are holy and beautiful and lovely and precious in his sight. Live your truth. Jesus says I am the way, the truth, and the life. Hug yourself. Love yourself. No, we need the words from outside of ourselves. We need arms from another, not just a human being, the arms of our creator and our savior, Jesus, who one day when he sees you will come running to you and take you in his arms and spin you around and wipe every tear from your eyes. That's why we are here. And that's who we are now. How do we know? How can we believe that all that is true? How can we grow in our certainty? Well, that's what we're going to talk about next week. <laughs> so come on back. Bring a friend. And as always, to Christ alone be all the glory. Amen.